we're starting uh, a new series uh, today uh, that'll take us through Easter. We're going to be talking about hell, and we're going to be talking about heaven, and, you know, some tough questions. Uh, how many of you have ever heard, or maybe you've even asked this question yourself, uh, and sometimes it's asked in a sincere way, and sometimes it's asked in an in a accusatory way. And the question is, how could a loving God send someone to hell? Or if God is a God of love, how could he let this happen to this children? Or if God is really a God of love, how could he let this happen you know, to this nation or this country, this famine, this sickness, this disease? How many of you ever heard those questions? You know, just raise your hand. I think we all have. And sometimes, you know, as Christians, we don't really know how to answer those questions. So I want to help you answer this question. The problem that we have in answering questions like that is that we try to answer biblical questions in a logical way. And you've got to answer a biblical question in a spiritual way or with the Bible. And so uh, as we look at the Bible, we notice that, you know, some of the attributes of God is that, you know, that he is uh, uh, omnipotent. You know, he's all-powerful, omniscient, he's all-knowing, and he's omnipresent. Uh, he's everywhere at the same time. But in addition to that, we know that some of the other characteristics of the traits of God is that he is holy, and he is good, and he is just. And I want to focus on two of those points today. That if we understand the nature of God, if we understand that the, the character of God, uh, it'll help us answer some of these questions. And I want to be begin in Romans chapter 1. By the way, I want to thank uh, Bob uh, for sharing last week. I understand he did a great job, and if you guys could just give it up for Bob for a moment. Good job, Bob. Thank you, man. Thank you. I mean, there's just, you know, I, I, we could spend, I could spend probably the next 10 minutes just talking about, you know, the, the talent and the goodness of people that God has brought to this congregation. I think about this men's group, and, you know, we've got you know, now men from other churches that are starting to attend this thing. And, you know, one of the comments one of them made to me is that, you know, I, I'm not seeing anything like this anywhere in the city. And I know that there's so many that, and, you know, I could start naming them, and if I start, um leave somebody out so I won't, but I, I want to just commend them. You guys are doing a great, great job, and I want to just encourage you to, you know, to press in and to, to stand fast. You know, Nina was talking about praying and fighting on your knees, and that was the word of God to Nehemiah, the prophet. He says, you know, I want you to rise up, and I want you to fight. I want you to fight for your families. I want you to fight for your wives and your children. And uh, I want you to fight for your houses. I want you to fight for this land. This is what God has given to you. And he said, I want you to stand up and, and, and fight. And what he was talking about, not taking a sword out and going out and, you know, slaying a bunch of enemies. He was just saying, be, being strong. Just like Nina was saying, just, you know, in prayer and seeking God uh, for your family. And so, men, you know, it's time to rise up. We... We sang that song this morning about rising up, and this is an hour when we do need to rise up. Romans chapter 1, it says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature 
have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. And, you know, this really covers not only that question about how could a loving God send someone to hell, but it also covers that question that well, some will ask, well, what about the person that's never heard about Jesus? What about the person that lives in the jungles in the deepest, darkest parts of Africa that have never really heard about him? And, you know, what he's saying here, that since the beginning of time, that God has testified of himself to every person so that men are without excuse. Now, we may argue and we may debate. We all have this human logic that we try to inject to, like I said earlier, these biblical or spiritual questions have to have biblical and spiritual answers and not man's logic. But every person, every person God has given a conscience to, and I want to just ask you this question. How many of you remember at a very early age in your life that you had a thought that you had a wonder, that you had a curiosity about God. Maybe even before you were in school. How many of you ever had that thought? Raise your hands up. I just want to. I want. I want you to just look around and just see. I remember when it happened to me. Thank you. Um, I remember when it happened to me. I was probably four or five years old. I remember exactly where I was. I remember the house that we were living in. I was outside the house on the side of the house. And all of a sudden, my mind just, and I, I, I was, my, my family were not church-going people. They'd never gone to church. Um, and all of a sudden, I started just thinking about, nobody had talked to me about God, but I just started thinking about God. Where did that thought come from? Well, you know, the Bible says that we are made in the image of God. And he has given us a conscience, just like he has. And, and, you know, we begin to think, I think God began to speak to my conscience. And I begin to think about, you know, you know, it's just like, you know, the, the beauty of the day, the warmth of the sun. And I tell you what, living here in New Mexico, God has a witness here. I mean, you know, not only do we believe in the most beautiful place in the world, you know, but you, you, can, you cannot stand outside in the, you know, on a, on a, uh, you know, on an evening and watch the sun go down or come outside on a starry night or look up to the mountains of the Sangrida Cristo mountains proclaiming the blood of Christ. You can't do that and think that there's got to be, there's a God that did this. I mean, how many of you have ever been just like in the remotest part of the wilderness? I mean, you know, I'm talking about like Pecos Baldi or or Santa Fe Bali, just where you're on top of the world, and you can see for 50, 60, maybe even 100 miles, you've been up there, and maybe you've seen a Coke can or a Coke bottle, and you would never, ever, ever, ever say, well, this must have just evolved. It just evolved, you know, just like, you know, just a big bang, and I got a Coke can here. You would never think that. I mean, you think that some idiot up here on a hike, you know, brought this man-made Coke from Santa Fe and left the trash up here is what I'm thinking, or a plastic bottle. And yet we do that all the time, and people have a tendency to do that all the time. They get, you know, we look around and just think, wow, just the Big Bang. It just, you know, it just happened. How I don't know, it just happened like that. But God is saying that I have a witness. I have an external Witness all of God's creation, and I have an internal witness, the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, to your conscience. 
And God even goes on and says, and uh, you know, uh, further on in Romans here, that there are those that by nature do the things that God wants them to do without even having heard the word, without even being exposed to God. I remember reading a book many years ago when I first got saved. It was called The Bamboo Cross. And in the book, it was a story about uh, missionaries that had gone to a land. And when they got there, they saw this bamboo cross. And uh, they began to ask the people how they had you know, found out about God, how they had found out about Christ. And they said, you know, we don't. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't know him. We knew, we knew that there was a God. We just never knew his name. And thank you for coming and telling us his name. Now we know. And God has left a witness for himself. So I want to just say that everyone that honestly and sincerely has a heart to know God, to find God, I just want to show you what the Word says. Let's just look at what the Word says, okay? Um, Every person, every person that wants to know God, the Bible says God will reveal himself to those individuals. But the first thing I need to establish is that that God is a just God. That means that every decision that he makes is a just and a godly and a righteous and true, and it's a holy decision. And we could never point the finger at God and say, why did you do this? This is wrong. What you did is wrong. We'll never be able to say that about God because all of his ways are just. In Revelation, and there's just like, in Revelation, I just, I, I just went to the end of the book. But just boom, 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 three times. Revelation 15, 3. Revelation 16, 7. Revelation 19, 2. Just and true are all your ways, O God. It's just repetitive throughout the Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, you see this same thing. Just and true are all your ways, O God. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, or excuse me, chapter 8, verse 17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. Jeremiah chapter 29, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I'm going to just say that this is not a word just to the Jew. This is a word to mankind. This is a word to everyone on the face of the earth. And then in in, uh, Matthew it says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you? If, if his son asks of bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks of fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those, to all of those, all of those that ask him? Matthew 7, 7, 12. Then in Acts chapter 17, he says, And he, speaking about God, has made from one blood, speaking about Adam's blood. Have you ever seen anybody that, uh, or met someone that had a same last name as you? Uh, I know it's real common here, you know, uh, in New Mexico, uh, uh, Montoya's or Garcia's or Martinez. And, you know, you think, well, somewhere along the line, you know, we're probably related. You know, that's nonsense. We are all related. We're all related. Listen to this. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord, that all men should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far 
from each one of us. That word growth in the Greek means make an effort. Just make an attempt. God's saying, if you just make an attempt to find out about me, I'll reveal myself to you. That's the whole story of Moses in the burning bush. The Bible says that Moses showed an interest. He was curious about the burning bush. And so because he was curious, God revealed himself to Moses. I want to tell you that if you're curious about God, if, you're, if you want to know more about God, if you begin to seek him, he will reveal himself to you. So the question again, how can a loving God send someone to hell? God is not only a just God, but he's a loving God as well. In 2 Peter chapter 3, now listen, when we put all of this together, I think it helps us better uh, prepare ourselves to answer some of these difficult questions that, you know, that some may sincerely have. They may really want to know. But this is what the Bible says. This is what the Word of God says about God. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish. You hear that? This is the heart of God. Not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then he says, live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is the heart of God. Again, we see in Ezekiel chapter 33, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn from their ways and live. Listen to the heart of God. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die? You know, you, do you realize that every time that you're reading the Old Testament prophets, that you're reading the, the, the stories of heartbroken men that are crying out for men and women in the nation of Israel to turn from their wickedness. It's the heart cry of God. God saying, I'm going to send this guy. Go, please go tell him again. And we read the story about Jeremiah, this weeping, broken prophet. I mean, he's got one book called the Book of Lamentations because he weeps through the whole thing. I mean, it's just the heart cry of God that I don't want them to be destroyed. I don't want them to die. I want them to turn from their, their wicked ways and, and come to me. But you know that one of the greatest gifts that God has given us, uh, and, I, and besides the, the gift of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross, the greatest gift that God has given you and me may be the gift of our free will, that we have a free will. And God is not going to make you love him. He's not going to chain you to a chair. And, uh, you know, like we might, chain someone to a chair and talk to them for 10 or 15 minutes and then say, you know, thank you for this quality time that you spent with me. You know, he's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. God has given us a free will. Now, as we uh, listen, listen to this, I'm, I'm going to tell you four stories from the Bible and we're going to wrap this up. But I want you to see the heart of God in all of this. Um, how could a loving God send someone to hell? And the answer is that God doesn't. And what God was saying, what, what Paul was saying in Romans, that it is, our, he says that we are without excuse. It's inexcusable because of God's external and internal, um, uh, the, what we see both witness inside and what we see on the outside. 
But Paul is saying it's inexcusable. We are without excuse. It's our inexcusable, rebellious rejection of God. And I think that when we see this in the Scripture, it will kind of open up our eyes. But in Matthew 25, and I'm going I'm to hit the Scripture a couple of times because I really want us to see it. But in Matthew chapter 25, and he says that I'm going to say to those on the left, remember this is the parable of the talents, and, uh, you know, the one guy buried his, and, you know, he separated at the end, he separated the sheep from the goats, and the sheep were on the right hand, the goats were on the left hand, and he says, I'm going to say to those on my left, this is, this is at judgment, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire. Now listen to this. The eternal fire, the Bible says, was prepared for the devil and his angels, okay? The lake of fire, eternal fire, was not prepared for you. It was not prepared for mankind. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. And when I say this, you know, sometimes we, it's easy for us to say, well, you know, men and women are evil because of the way that they were raised. Well, I want to tell you that where Satan was, was not a ghetto, and he did not have a ghetto dad, and he did not have a, a ghetto uh, workplace. I mean, it was, it, everything was perfect. His father was perfect, and heaven was perfect. In fact, Isaiah said that you were perfect until iniquity or until sin was found in you. That's what God says about, about the devil. Um, and so, but they, Satan and his angels, they were without excuse, they rejected, they rebelled and rejected a loving God. And God says, because you've done this, I have to, I will separate you from me, and I'm prepared this place called the lake of fire, and there you will go. In uh, story number one from Revelation, it says, I, and some of this is a repeat from the last couple of weeks, but it, it bears hearing again. Uh, just a new twist on it, new insight on it from Re Revelation chapter 12. And there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, that's the devil, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven, and the great dragon was hurled down to the earth, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now, I know we, we like to watch baseball. You like to watch baseball. Man, I love to watch those curveballs, those sliders, those fastballs. You, you, you may have a pitcher that can pitch a pretty good fastball that you like. I'm going to tell you what. Nobody can pitch or hurl a fastball like God can. And I mean, when he hurled the devil out of heaven, I mean, it was boom. Jesus said, I, I saw it. I saw it. Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Just bam. Heaven to earth. He's out. You know, I, I want to tell you that, you know, many of the things that we go through in life, there are a lot of, lot of hurts and pains that we go through in life, uh, the loss of a loved one, uh, brokenness in marriage, and, you know, just different things. You know, some of you are going through difficult financial issues right now. But one of the greatest things, I believe, that we suffer in life is when you have been rejected. And it's one of the things that the Bible says about Jesus, that he was a man of sorrow 
and well acquainted with grief. I believe that most of Jesus' grief is because that he came into his own. That's what the Bible says. He came into his own, but his own received him not. They rejected him. I think that that was the biggest hurt that Jesus received. We see that, I think, that uh, in Matthew's gospel when he talks about, uh, I believe it was that Palm Sunday week, that week, that last seven days, where Jesus is just kind of like riding around Jerusalem, and he just begins to weep. Uh, I mean, here he is, the Messiah. Uh, the, the prophets have spoken about his coming for, you know, almost 2,000 years. God promised to Abraham that all nations in the world would be blessed through you. And, uh, you know, Moses spoke about it. All the prophets spoke about a Messiah coming. And finally the Messiah comes, and he is rejected. And I believe that he goes up on the hill and, and just begins to weep. And he says, uh, you know, oh, Jerusalem. You can hear the brokenness in his heart. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times would I have gathered you as a hen does gather her chicks under her wing and you would not? Now, does that sound like the heart of someone that's glad that you're going to hell? You guys remember, perhaps I've told this story here before. I'm sure I have because I've told a lot on here before. But there were three pastors that were auditioning for a position at a church. And they were all given the same subject to preach on. And it was hell. And, um, you know, the deacon board or the elder board listened to all three of them. They had to make a choice. They chose one. And the one of the ones that was rejected went up to the board and he said, look, you know, honestly, I think I preached a better sermon than that guy. And the deacon board said, you know, you, we probably think you probably did too. But the difference was, when you talked about people going to hell, you seemed to enjoy it. Every time he spoke about hell, he was weeping, he was broken, he was crying. And that is the heart of God. God does not want to see anyone go to hell. The inexcusable, rebellious rejection of a loving God, that's exactly what Satan and his angels did. They rejected a loving God. The second story that I want to share with you is from Revelation chapter 20. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more until a thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. This is talking about the millennial reign, that, that God is going to, Jesus will be the king of this earth, he will rule for a thousand years, Satan will be bound and, and cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years, but read what happens afterwards. Now when the thousand years have expired, and this is men and women that have lived under the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's got to be the most awesome time that the world has ever experienced. It says, and now when a thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, together, uh, to gather them together uh, to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea, and they went upon the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived him 
or deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever. Can you see? I mean, it's just hard for me to get my mind around this. I mean, you're living for a thousand years with Jesus Christ, and then some will turn their back on him and decide that they want to be followers of Satan again. You know, I want you to think about this. You guys know the Word of God. And you know what it says at the end. And Peter talks about this. He says at the end that heaven, this heaven that we know and the earth that we know will all be burned up. It'll be totally burned up. It'll be dissolved. Everything that we see will be, will be dissolved. You know the only thing that lasts? You know the only thing that's going to survive? The only thing that's going to survive is family. God's family. Those that choose are those that chose to give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the ones that are going uh, to survive. That's what's going to survive. Now, God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, but out of this, out of this, the only thing that is going to make it is family. That's why it's so important to God. It's, family is so important to Him. And yet, God still gives us this free will which is illustrated in the story of the prodigal son from Luke 15. There was a man that had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them, and not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off into a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. See, you can't force someone to stay. The prodigal son's father couldn't force him to stay. I know his heart was broken because he wanted to go because he could see what was in his son's heart, what he was going to do, and the hardship and the heartache that was going to cost him down the road. But he still let him go, and God will still let you go if you choose to say, I don't want you, God. I, I don't want you. I don't want to be a part of the kingdom of God. I don't want to read your word. I don't want to study your word. I don't want to pray to you. I don't want to worship you. Leave me alone. I want to do my own thing. I want to tell you, it breaks God's heart, but He, because He has given you free will and a free choice, will allow you to make that decision, even though it breaks His heart. The inexcusable rebellion and rejection of a loving God. The third story I want to share with you is from Isaiah chapter 5, and I'm going to move through this kind of quickly. But there's, there are words and phrases in this story, and I'm going to read what Jesus has to say just right after that uh, from Matthew's Gospel. But see if you can pick up on these words that will be in both of these stories. He says, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. This is God the Father speaking about his son Jesus. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones, and he planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the mist and made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes. But it brought forth wild grapes, and now, O oh, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah and uh, men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. Now listen to the heart of God. Listen to what he said. Can you hear this? I mean, we cannot say that God enjoys sin to anyone. How could a loving God send anyone to hell? He doesn't. We make these decisions and these choices on our own. And here he exhibits it again. He illustrates it again one more time. 
And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then? when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me uh, tell you what I will do to my vineyard and break down, I will take away its hedge and it shall be burned and break down its walls and it shall be trampled down and I will lay it to waste. And then finally, in uh, Matthew's gospel, he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and he put a wall around it. And he dug a pit. This is God the Father. God the Father planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a pit for the wine press. He built a watchtower. He rented out the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent forth servants. This is talking about the prophets of the Old Testament. He sent servants to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him and they beat him and sent him away empty. Then he sent another Old Testament prophet servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent still another, and they killed one they killed, and he sent many others to them. This is Jeremiah, Isaiah, Elijah, Elisha. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved, and he sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir Come, let us kill him. The inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him on Calvary's cross and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now listen to this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in, heaven, in heavenly glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now you've got to understand that men and women make this choice. Men and women make this decision. God does not throw people into hell. He allows you and your free will to make that choice. We're going to dim the light. I'm going to just share with you just a segment from um, John Bevere a number of years ago, a great man of God, did a, uh, uh, an audio drama called Affabel. If you've never listened to it, just see me. You need, to, you need to hear this thing. It's about four hours long. And just a little background on it. It's about four young people that go to a Bible school, get a trade, get an education, learn about God, and then after Bible school, they go their different ways. And the, in the, the drama, the audio drama, it just tracks each of those individuals and what they're doing and how they're living their lives and then the next time that the four of them meet is at the judgment seat of God. And this is just a little excerpt. It's just a, a few minutes, I think about four or five minutes long. But it's pretty intense. And uh, I, I just pray that God gives you the strength to, to sit and listen through it. Sages, for the sake of those gathered here. Yes, my Lord. 
from the ancient writings. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received a full knowledge of the truth, there is no other sacrifice that will cover these sins. There will be nothing to look forward to but the terrible expectation of Jalen's judgment. Double life! You have been summoned already so you could witness the destruction of one whom I had entrusted to you. Come now to my throne. Oh, my Lord. Dan! Guards! Bring him to his feet. His double life's name found in the Book of Life? No, my Lord. Double life. You are guilty of treason, of falling away from righteousness, of becoming a stumbling block. You are to be taken to the forsaken land of Lone, where you will receive the greatest punishment and torments. Lord! The greatest punishment? But, but I was a teacher in your school! I gave my life for your cause! You were a teacher, but did you not read from the books you taught? Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the school, for we who teach will be judged by Jalen with greater strictness. But Lord... You caused many of my little ones to stumble and fall permanently. Fainthout is just one example. She was entrusted to your care. I gave you authority to protect her, not to use her for your own purposes. You exploited your influence to satiate your lust and violate her and others. She was already wounded by a sister, and you, who should have brought healing, took advantage of her instead. You corrupted her faith, and now she has been sentenced to low. Surely you remember the warning I gave. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung round his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Bind him! Hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now you will pay, Jalen! It's pretty intense, I know, I know. But here's the deal. Again, God did not create the lake of fire or hell for mankind. It was created for the devil and his angels. Listen to this. Isaiah, he said in Isaiah chapter 5, he said, What more could I have done? What more could I have done? In John chapter 3, we all know John 3.16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But listen to verse 17 that follows. Since God did not send his, world, his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Whosoever believes in him is not condemned, but whosoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And this is the verdict that light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. It will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whosoever lives by the truth comes into the light. I get uh, every uh, Monday morning, uh, there's a pastor in, uh, in Dallas, his name is Steve May. He sends me a little, uh, I mean, he sends out millions of them probably, but I get it, I'm on his email list. But it's called the Monday Morning Memo. And uh, this last week or a couple of weeks ago, he said that there was a contest that was uh, being held because when you look in the dictionary under the word finished or complete, that the answers are so, the definitions are so similar that they offered a $5,000 prize to someone that could adequately distinguish and describe the difference between uh, complete and finished. And the winner of that prize was a guy that, that wrote back and said, when a man marries the right woman, he is complete. But if he marries the wrong woman, he is finished. <laughs> you know, I would just take that just a step further, that if you have Jesus in your life, your life will be complete. But if you don't, it's like your life is finished. I want you to just stand with me, and I want to pray with you, and then we're going to close uh, with a song, and then uh, we'll be free to, to leave. But uh, there may be some in here this morning that I, I know that this is a, a strong word and uh, we don't like to hear messages about hell, but I, you know, I want to just tell you that uh, Jesus had a three-and-a-half-year ministry and of that three-and-a-half-year ministry, he spoke on the subject of hell 30 times as recorded in the New Testament. So that means about once a month, Jesus had a message about heaven and hell. Um, so it was important to him, and it's important that we be faithful and obedient to God's word and, and bring you the whole message, you know, not to not leave anything out because we don't want to offend anyone. We want to just preach the whole message of God. But I hope that my, my prayer is this morning that as you've heard the word of God go forth, that you understand that God does not want anyone to perish, but that all would come to repentance. So you may just say, wow, Ron, you know, I just, I feel like I'm troubled this morning. I'm troubled within, and I don't feel like I have a right relationship with God, and I need, the Bible says that there is a peace that passes all understanding. And maybe you feel like, in a sense, like Hugo Chavez, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. And I'm going to just tell you that we can pray this morning, and if you really mean this from your heart, God will give you that sense of peace that you can face God, look Him in the eye, and know that you have done what He asked you to do, and that was to 
receive his son Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Again, Isaiah 5, God is just saying, what more could I have done? By the time we get to the New Testament, Jesus goes to the cross and once again, God would say, what more could I have done? I gave you the most precious thing that I have, my son, Jesus, for your sins. So if you would just like to, just in the stillness and the quietness of your heart this morning, to say, Lord, I, I know that I'm a sinner and I've messed up my life and I've hurt myself and I've hurt other people. I made a mess of things. I just ask you, God, that you would forgive me. Your word says, Lord, that if I commit my ways to you, that you will lead me and guide me along the best pathway of life. And that's my heart's desire this morning. I want to receive your son, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. I ask that you'd forgive me my sins. I ask that you would take my life, Father, and lead me and guide me and direct me in a way that brings honor and glory to your name. that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Break any bondages that's in my heart right now, Lord, in my life. Set me free. Your word says that you came to set the captive free. Father, I ask for that freedom today. And I ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus.